Welcome to the Success Leaves Clues podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that's different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Success Leaves Clues podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We're also brought to you by ARIA Benefits. We help business leaders attract and retain top talent. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with my always interesting co-host, Al McDonald. Al, what's new and exciting in your world? Well, another awesome day, another awesome podcast Friday, and another awesome guest on the list today. So looking forward to it as always. One of the things I love about this podcast is we have people on the podcast and then they introduce us to other interesting people that we can have on the podcast. And I got to thank our friend Monica for making an introduction to Martin. So on the podcast today is Martin Hawk. For the last two decades, Martin's entire career has revolved around helping people find what they need. His first professional decade was focused on helping people find the products, parts, and services they need to keep their manufacturing and construction companies running. And then in the last decade of his career, he's been focused on helping businesses and leaders find the people they need to grow their businesses. He's helped Wrangle, Stack Adapt, and CoinSquare scale their teams and level up their recruitment and people ops practices, and is now lucky to be leading a team of eight talent acquisition partners at Caseware. And they are expanding their presence globally with a focus on Latin America and Europe. Beyond that, he runs a community of HR recruitment and operations professionals called the People People Group. Love the name, by the way. Uh, That has over 3,000 members across Canada and various parts of the world. And finally, in between all of those things and attempting to be a great partner and dad, spends his free time learning more about crypto, VR, and Dungeons & Dragons. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm super stoked to be here. This is, this is fun to be on the other side of the table. Well, Martin, we had such a good conversation the first time, right? And everyone knows we do these chemistry calls just to make sure there's a bit of chemistry there. And certainly we hit it off right away. So I'm, I'm really glad you're joining us today. You have an interesting background because we talked about in the bio, the first half of your career was in, in one area. And then the next half was in, to my mind, a completely unrelated area. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Like, how did you end up as head of talent acquisition? Yeah, I think you probably hear this all the time. If you talk to talent folks, you get initiated into it. It's not something you'd go to school for. Somebody taps you on the shoulder or you do a hard pivot in life and a friend of a friend at a barbecue says like, hey, you'd be a good recruiter. I, you know, I work at this agency, blah, blah, blah. And that's not how it happened for me. I don't know how far back you want me to go, but everything in my life has been sort of like this, you know, just do the best you can. I dropped out of high school in grade 10 and was petrified of being stuck in burger flipping for the rest of my life. So I worked hard and apparently that's the secret sauce to everything and treated me well. At a certain point in the industrial and construction space, I got tapped on the shoulder to be a recruiter and by accident got lucky that like, that just so happens to be what I love doing and the side of the business world that I I seem to enjoy most. Now, when someone says, you know, approaches you, as you said, at the barbecue and says, hey, you'd be a good recruiter. And although that wasn't your story, but what does that mean? Like, what is the skill set that makes a great recruiter? Well, there definitely needs to be some level of gift of the gab. 
some extroversion. I don't consider myself an extrovert, but I do consider myself a curious person. I think that's the most important thing. Like you meet someone at a barbecue and maybe the person who's talking the most might be an okay salesperson or recruiter, but the person who kind of takes you aside and you have a decent conversation with them and they just seem genuinely interested in what you do. And maybe you see them at, you know, another family function and they're like, oh, hey, Martin, how's the three things that we talked about at that last barbecue five years ago or whatever the case might be? Like that person's mindset is wired to perform well in recruitment, I believe personally. And we hear that because we, we chat with, as you know, we chat with a lot of successful people on this podcast, and that's by design, right? Success leaves clues. We want, we want to tease out those clues for the audience. And curiosity is, is one of those, and it is a skill set, I think. Some people have naturally, other people, I think, develop it. But curiosity seems to be key if you want to grow a company, if you want to be successful in your role, if you want to develop deep relationships. So I think it is that curiosity that people value when you're when you're asking questions and you're showing that you actually care about it and you want to know the answers. You're asking the questions to try to figure out how can I help you? I think people see a lot of value in that. Martin, you mentioned that you dropped out of school, grade 10. Maybe you can talk a little bit about how you think some of those early failures set you up to succeed later on. Well, for me, the failure on dropping out was the failure to persevere at something I didn't believe in. I didn't believe that it made sense to me. I was a stubborn kid. I still am. My mom will attest to that. That the system didn't make sense to me, right? I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I also knew the things I was learning weren't things I was ever going to use in the future. And so that didn't necessarily make sense to me. And so my parents gave me an ultimatum when I dropped out. They wanted me to go through homeschooling. So I'm like, cool, I'll do homeschooling. At that time, they sent you four thick books and you filled them out book by book and they send it back. And then, you you know, and the first book I did, it was the only book I did, was like history. And I got like 99% on it. Meanwhile, I was like 70s, 60s. And I was just doing much better on my own without very many distractions and at my own pace and that sort of thing. And that environment just showed, they're like, cool, I'm a smart guy. That's what that taught me. It was like, I can figure things out even if I don't really care about them and if I don't see the meaning in it, I can still figure it out and do the work. So I used that as leverage to say like, cool, I don't want to do homeschooling. And they're like, cool, well, we want you to start paying rent now because you can't not go to school and kudos to them for that. I think I had like three or four months where I was just, you know, laying about being an ignorant teen. But beyond that, they were like, get a job. And I got a job through the Youth Employment Services Program. And there's been a ton of failures throughout my life. I've failed recently in an attempt to launch, you know, recruitment in Colombia. That was a really bumpy road in these last 12 months. And so that part, I think failing and failing early on is definitely, failure is just learning. I mean, everybody's talked about that. That's not new. I'm sure everybody has kind of like mentioned something like that in previous podcasts, but that's kind of my take on it. So I feel in comparison to my friends who stayed in school, I got the chance to fail more and I got the chance to fail sooner. And I feel like I'm further ahead now to a certain extent. I mean, at a certain point, it kind of catches up to you. But for the longest time, especially in my early 20s, it was like doing all these things that they were still kind of catching up to in terms of like life stages. And that was kind of weird for me because everybody was like, you're going to flip burgers for the rest of your life. Not to say that education is bad or anything, but it wasn't for me. And I learned that early on. And that was a helpful lesson. 
I think the best thing that I really took note of when you were just speaking there is you saw failing as learning, which I think is a great point. I could say that now. <laughs> Maybe not so much at the time. Uh, yeah, I was freaking out. <laughs> yeah. For the most. No, but I think it's true. Yeah. I think it's true. I quite often say failing doesn't make you a failure, right? It's just a way to overcome adversity, get new challenges. So if those were some of the failures that you talked about, talk about maybe the best investment you made in yourself. Well, one of the best investments I made in myself wasn't actually something I did. It was something my dad did for me. And I don't think he even knew it at the time, but he bought me, you know, everybody's families are weird, but one Christmas, my dad bought us all domain names for our names. I was like 16 and I had martinhawk.ca to my name and I've had it since. And what it was in the beginning, I was learning HTML. I was figuring out how to like put nonsense. It was just like emo, tragic, blunder year, garbage nonsense that you might see on like a MySpace page or something like that. And I'm like, oh, look, this young teenage boy has emotions. Cool. Good for him. But as like my career kind of progressed, there was a distinct point in my life where I was like, I knew I wanted to work hard and I saw that I could be successful. And I was having this weird friction between maintaining a professional online persona versus just being an authentic person, which felt better to me. And I was like, how do those two, two things kind of like, I saw this version of myself in a suit and this version of my, like, I'm not an extreme, you know, I don't have crazy ideologies. I don't have anything that's overly controversial, but there was this like mask that you ended up wearing. And the first real job I had was like a 10,000 person, 100,000 person industrial American company. Executives wore suits and you wore the same uniform every day and you had to be professional. You didn't swear. And there was a hierarchy to things. It wasn't the military, but it was kind of in that, in that line of things. And so when I realized what I was trying to do, and again, a lot of it was kind of cheesy, it became a longer journey of realizing the importance of having a personal brand. And my dad gave me this website that eventually became like, hey, again, kind of like ahead of the curve in terms of having my own personal brand and realizing that like, if people are going to check out your profile, have it show some authenticity, but also highlight the fact that you're an astute person that knows what they're talking about and should be someone to kind of learn more about, right? I give that recommendation to candidates all the time, actually. So that's a cool dad to get you your own domain name. Like that's awesome. So kudos to your dad. Mm. So you were ahead of the game because I don't know many 16 year olds at that time that would have had their own domain name. And I own a couple as well. So you were ahead of the curve there, but is there anything that you'd wish you'd done sooner in life? Well, this kind of goes back to the dropping out of school thing. And because of the way ADHD or ADD is personified in television and media, I never really associated myself with that. But I dropped out of high school for a reason, performed much better in an environment where it was quiet and I could go at my own pace versus being in a large group with like 30 people and teachers and noise and distractions and all that kind of thing. So there was never a question of like, does Martin have ADHD? And honestly, it took the pandemic and having two kids and the biggest professional challenge of my life and running a community to all swirl together to like this breaking point of... Like, what's wrong with me? 
Like, why am I up at five in the morning trying to get a presentation done that should take normal people like 30 minutes and I've been staring at the same words for like five hours? I know the answers. I just can't get it out of me. I'm avoiding it at all costs. And I really wish I had gotten like formally diagnosed for ADHD and like I'm 37 now. It's been a year. I've been on meds for maybe like three, four months now. It's been a complete game changer to my life. And the only reason I actually kind of explored it or thought it was a real thing is because a friend of mine was also like open and transparent and kind of vulnerable about sharing that information. So, I mean, this isn't to say that taking meds is the right thing for everybody. This isn't to say that like, you know, if you get distracted and maybe you have this, but if there's a theme in your life that you can't really put a finger on and it's not, you know, a visual thing, check it out. Like talk to other people, explore it, go a little bit deeper on it. Cause the quality of my life now and versus before in terms of just happiness, being able to get stuff done, performance, like it's night and day. Thanks for sharing that. And thanks for being open because I think, you know, one of the things that I've loved about this series and it, and it started on the very first one that we did. And this series was really an experiment in the beginning, but the reason why that episode did so well, and then subsequently conversations like this have resonated with people is guests are coming on and sharing vulnerabilities hmm. and challenges that they faced and sitting here as an entrepreneur and a business leader myself. And I have these conversations and I see people who have challenges and some are similar to challenges that I've had and some are completely different and I've never faced those. Mm. And one of the things that I share with the audience and routinely I get feedback on is, hey, um, I've never faced that. That's the kick in the pants I needed because I just had a busy day and here I am feeling sorry for myself and delaying what I should be doing. So I really appreciate you being vulnerable and, and sharing that because I think it's important that as business leaders, we open up and talk about these things because, you know, there's stigmas attached to all of these things. And the more that we can chat about them and, and get it out in the open and say, hey, we're business leaders, it's okay, right? Mm. No one is perfect. They might look perfect, especially on their Instagram. Mm. Trust me, they're not. Everybody's got challenges. Everyone's going through something behind the scenes that they might not be comfortable sharing 100%. And that's what makes us human. By being, you know, vulnerable, earlier on in my life and not necessarily sharing this, but just even asking for help. Like pride can get in the way, ego can get in the way of a bunch of things, but dropping out of school was a scary thing. And one thing I learned quickly was asking random strangers for help. You know, I wasn't on the streets in terms of that. It wasn't that extreme. But I remember one day at the like the first job I got through the Youth Employment Services program, there's this older guy. I helped him cut some chain. It was like two, three meters long or something like that. And he was just like, you gave me great service, kid. Like, you know, and he was just, he was kind of like, you know, you're going to go back to school. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not in school. He's like, you know, oh, this is your full time. Like, yeah, this is my full time. Like, you're pretty young. And went back and forth. And like a week later, he came back and he had coffee with me and just talked to me about my life. And he opened up. He was like, I'm going to see if I can get you a gig as a teller downtown Toronto. I didn't get it, but just that idea that just by sharing something I was embarrassed about, opened up a conversation with complete stranger that opened up this entire pathway of potential possibility. I was like, this is like a video game almost. Like you, you ask the right question, all of a sudden, you know, you're having a conversation you didn't expect. And that was pretty wild to me. And that was, yeah, that was eye-opening as well.
Well, that certainly shows just by talking and have that conversation, people are willing to help. People are willing to reach out. And sometimes it comes from completely unexpected sources. So we've talked a little bit about what you're doing with the People People Group and your career. What are you most excited about? Like, Talk a little bit about what your future holds for you. Right now I'm going through the change of someone who has always been like a player coach, somebody who's on the field as well as on the sidelines. Last year was me letting go of the playing field, so to speak, and just becoming a coach coach in terms of like just a true leader, like not doing any recruitment. I miss doing, you know, candidate phone screens and all the stuff that I jumped into originally. Now I've got a team and it's just not scalable. And so it's this weird aspect of kind of like letting go of ego because the thing that kind of attracted me to recruiting in the first place was you, know, you get someone a job and they're making this awesome change in their life. Like there's a rush to that, right? And so to let go of that and say like, okay, now everybody else go do that, but you don't get to do that anymore is kind of like a weird shift. So I've been adjusting to that. So a case where I had joined, yeah, about two years ago and we were around like 400 people. We're at about seven, 800 people now. We've done acquisitions globally. So I'm getting this incredible opportunity to see a business scale at a level I've never experienced before. So I get to kind of stretch muscles that I've not even worked out before. And I also have the privilege to like coach people in, in a craft that I really appreciate. And so that's really exciting. The next few years, more growth, despite sort of like the economic headwinds that everybody's kind of hunkering down for, case where it's really well positioned for the future. And it's been an exciting time to kind of like go through this transformation that we're going through. That's on the caseware front. We've got a ton of opportunities in North America, ton of opportunities in Europe, and Colombia is a space that we're focusing on from a, a developer engineering perspective, which has been really exciting. We're trying to build out a center of excellence there. And then on the people people group side of things, which is sort of like this passion project of mine for the last five or six years. Yeah, we're about 3,000 members now across Canada, sprinklings of random people that find us on the internet who are completely random continents. We just had a few people from Spain sign up and just figuring out how to be a community leader, figuring out how to like monetize something without sabotaging the parts of what makes a community whole, right? What's the balance between sponsorship and whatnot? It is a free community. It is something that I'd like to grow and continue to build out. There's interesting communities like Sam Jacobs's Pavilion is a great example, the Revenue Collective. That's sort of where I'm sort of taking inspiration from. And yeah, just trying to figure out how to build that out and, and make it something that can make life easier for everyone and my family at the same time. I think you've kind of already got to Al's signature question, but I'm going to get him to answer it anyway, because maybe, maybe it'll be different. I'm not sure, but... I can already see things that you're doing that are going to benefit people down the road. And it sounds like a lot of people, but it's time in the podcast. It's tradition now. Question. So Al, away with the question. We'll see if it's the same answer. Maybe it'll be something right. different. All right. Well, so here it goes. So Martin, there's a saying that a society grows great when old persons plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. So can you talk about any of those proverbial trees that you might be planting? I love that quote. I love that you asked this question. It was a bit of a head scratcher as to like, why is this such a, I hope it's not a challenging question. With the People People Group, it feels like the questions that get answered in the community and the impact that it has on people on a day-to-day -day basis is significant. I hear it from the members all the time. It's really humbling 
10, 15 years ago, it would have gone straight to my head. Uh, it still kind of does, to be honest with you. Uh, and I try to like constantly remind myself that this is just a tiny little group and there's a million other groups out there doing similar things with larger numbers, with bigger impact and better branding and all these, you know, you know maybe that's negative self-talk and weird voices that I probably shouldn't kind of give much credence to. But kind of going back to, you know, that person that I just want to continue to do things that help others. That's always kind of been in me. I don't have like an aspirational, I want to change the world thing. Not going to lie to you, every time I put the recycling out, or even I take recycling, there's something there. Like, give it five, maybe when I retire, I'm going to build a machine that, like, sorts stuff for you. And then somehow we give a bag of cardboard to Amazon, and we get a few credits on our Amazon account, and they take away the garbage instead of a garbage truck or something like that. Every time I put away the garbage, I think about something like that. But, yeah, I don't have energy or patience for something like that right now. I think for me, the biggest opportunity to do something beyond myself that is helpful because it's related to people is to, you know, kind of going back to like being more open about the fact that I do have ADHD or being more vocal about the fact that I did drop out of high school because I would not have gotten to where I am if I didn't know other people had gone through similar things and still were able to make it. And I've got a lot of privilege to have been able to make it. Others don't. And I've seen a lot of people who don't have as much and still end up kind of making it and, and being successful. So it's just kind of like amplifying those stories more often and just how to help more people kind of at scale, which is a, a weird thing to say, but it's definitely an opportunity with the people, people group, because it's no longer like a one-to-one -one conversation like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm having this challenge at work and I don't know what to do about benefits. Now it's like, how do we get more good information, right information or progressive information in the hands of people in a scalable way so it's not just one person that i'm impacting it's larger groups and it's not me maybe it's other people that's kind of the, been the biggest thing is like it's not necessarily about myself it's about well there's 3,000 members in the community and they all probably have really good ideas that could help each other out how do i get them to kind of amplify their confidence and amplify some of the messages that they have as opposed to like good information just exclusively coming from like a select group of people kind of thing. I think it's great that you've shared what you've shared with today and that, and especially your message about dropping out of school early and the ADHD. I think there's going to be a lot of people that will listen to that and will definitely relate to it. So really want to thank you for sharing that part. No, of course. Happy to. I think that message that we'll end on here, we should all be trying to figure out how can we help more people? I love that. And thank you for sharing that because I'm going to, I'm going to take that home with me over the weekend because that's a great message. So I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your story. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have any questions about yourself or what you're doing at Caseware? If you kind of want to follow my random meanderings, you can follow me at 1-H-A-U-C-K on Twitter, 1-Hawk. If you want to connect with me one-to-one, -one, you could do that on Twitter, but you probably get a reply faster on LinkedIn. And yeah, my name is Martin Hawk. I imagine you'll have the link somewhere on the podcast. And yeah, I'm the one with the green background. There we go. All right. That does it for today's episode. I really enjoyed this conversation. As always, I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. And remember, success leaves clues.